0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist, featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show, Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick, on 97.5 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
1: What's up, Sam? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. No, we appreciate you jumping on with us curious your your reaction uh, uh I'm sure you saw the comments from all the jazz players about the 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 plane incident that they had only to jump on another plane, go to Memphis, and come out with a win. I called it one of their best wins of the year, given the circumstances. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I feel like um no pun intended, but I guess pun uh a pun kind of tolerated you know that whole situation flew under the radar a little bit um, until at least for me until. I'm you know, watching ESPN last night and Mike Conley's interview got my attention. And you know, I'd seen the headlines, hadn't been in touch with anybody, uh, but certainly, you know, just extremely relieved that, that they're okay. And basketball-wise, sure, that's a heck of a way to to bounce back and, and still get on a different plane and go get a victory. But you know, another reminder that you know, just try not to take things for granted. I thought Conley's perspective was was on point. And you know, to hear those guys talk about the fact that that it was serious enough that you know he, he didn't really get into great detail but alluded to guys you know texting loved ones and telling them you know they love them and they just didn't know so scary stuff and and just it's just fantastic that they're okay
0: you fly a lot uh, sam have you ever had a harrowing experience
2: <laughs> do i gordon <laughs> not anymore <laughs> you uh, used to. yeah i used to um yeah, in fact, it's it's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of scary moments. The, the Probably one of the scarier ones was actually the only time in my whole career that I flew with an NBA team where I went on the same plane with the Kings to India um, at the beginning of last season. They were playing the Pacers over there for the preseason, and we had kind of cut a deal with the Kings where we'd, pay for our flight but we would be on their flight and uh, on the way back I think it was leaving London. We had a pit stop in London and um, you know storms and whatnot. not and, and we got hit by a lightning bolt and Ooh. it was uh, you know it shook the plane. It it, it was enough to have the, uh, the pilot get on and I forget exactly what he said but it, his tone was not all that reassuring um, but it's one of those where you you kind of felt the jolt and you look out the window and you saw the flash and, you know, and, and you feel very vulnerable all of a sudden. So, you know, nothing like this, but, but I've had a few scares.
1: Sam Amick with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Sam, the the Jazz currently sit at first in the West. They are three up on Phoenix. They are five up on the, the Clippers. Given that they have 20-some-odd games left, is there, a, is there a comfortable lead the way Phoenix is playing these days? I mean –
2: Yes and no. No from a standing standpoint, and maybe I'm just guilty of not doing as much homework on the Suns as I should. I, I need to wake up. I mean they just they're not going away, you know what I mean? But from an experience standpoint, for everything Chris Paul has done, you know, I I feel like in that category the Suns, you know, don't they just simply don't have what it team like the Jazz has as far as kind of that ability to to keep things level into you know, they've been through a lot more as a group. Um, Devin Booker's still trying to get his first playoff berth, and, and they have a couple bets on that team, but not that many. Um, but it's still crazy that we're all acting like once the playoffs get here, LeBron's got to be healthy, and the Lakers and Clippers will be up there with the Jazz and, and the Nuggets, and it's going to be the same top four in the West that we thought it was going to be going into the year. But it's like, I don't know, man. You know, the Suns are sitting here, I mean, you know, fighting for that top spot, really. And uh, and it's a testament to all their players. But Monty Williams, you know, I think it's certainly a, a short-lived Coach of the Year guy. So, a uh, heck of a story out there.
0: Sometimes, Sam, I think when we look at these teams and the players, we think uh, in terms of just sort of categorically they are what they are. But I'm telling you right now, Jake and I, both of us are—I don't know, Jake—would you consider us skeptical people? Skeptical? We're skeptics at times, really. And the more we watch this jazz team, the more I think we've believed that it is extremely dangerous. I mean, this team can do things that previous jazz teams couldn't. And I guess what I'm saying is that the players are evolving right in front of our eyes to the point where maybe they will be considered uh, amongst the great players in the league they can't absolutely prove that until the playoffs come but there's an it's changing it's changing right before our eyes do you follow yeah
2: no i do in fact not to take the spotlight off the jazz a little bit but i think they're sharing that same spotlight with the nuggets um you know those two organizations and those two teams have been on somewhat similar tracks you know they have Incredibly unique talents as the centerpiece of what they do at the center spot, with Gobert and Jokic. Um, You know they've got wings that are, you know, wildly talented, but have at different times, you know, kind of faced some skepticism or about you know where do they belong in the conversation. So that obviously Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, but you do get reminded that even like to contrast that with what the Nets have going on, and I'm not trying to say for a minute. That the Nets might not go out and win the the whole thing. But I do think that experience matters and I think that, you know, kind of lessons learned through failure matters and that's what the Nuggets and Jazz have experienced Uh, and and that I'm always a little skeptical of of super teams, at least in the first year. You know, even with all that talent, a lot of times they get tripped up by the moment, right? Like those playoff moments when you haven't really figured out how you function in each of these scenarios, and so, you know, that little hesitation when it matters most, it could be the difference between a win and a loss, and and Denver and Utah, uh, you know, again, have kind of had similar stories there, but the Jazz, you know, I've said it a million times on your guys' show, you know, to come out of what happened last year and and seemingly be stronger and certainly better as a team is, is really impressive stuff.
1: Uh, I, we, Sam, as you know, love throwing you in the middle of arguments that Gordon and I have, but we did we had a disagreement over uh, how much better Andre Drummond made the Lakers. Curious to your thoughts on that question.
2: Um, I just think it's it, it kind of, I mean, it's an overused phrase, but I think when healthy, because he obviously just got hurt last night with this, Really painful injury. I don't know if you guys saw him talking about his, his toenail falling off. Yeah. Um, but it raises their floor to me because Marcus just hadn't worked out like they had hoped, and they need size, you know, to to give them something to check. Again, guys like Gobert and Jokic and Embiid and whoever else might be coming their way, and that was something that they they had pretty well last year with. Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, you know, and those guys obviously move on. Um, So that's where I think Drummond helps. There's an interesting debate kind of surrounding Drummond where um, just the the general question of what's the value of a rebounder in today's NBA. I I think Chris Herring uh, of ESPN had written a piece where he explored the fact that, you know, it's, it's not, it's just not what it used to be. So, I think it raises their floor and helps them in terms of their depth uh on the size front, but, but it's not a major outpick in what they can do and be.
0: Sam, guys, circle back on your comment about the Nets. Uh so do you think this thing is going to come together in a convincing way in the postseason? Or do you think uh throwing these guys together it, it, it'll be uh it'll it'll fall apart before or won't be completely gelled by the time it needs to be.
2: Um, I think it's possible that they get tripped up. Yeah. I mean, because they just haven't had, I mean, it's crazy because they're on top of the Eastern conference, right? So you can't act like it hasn't gone well, but it has not been anything remotely close to what they planned in terms of getting those three players together and then allowing them to learn off one another. Now, I think James Harden has made it a lot easier because is Clearly, gone in and said, "I'm going to be pass first, score second. and he's still putting up points. But you know that has helped. Um, but they still have not had a lot of court time together. And I wish I had the number in front of me. But the you know the amount of time the three guys have been on the floor, it's just it's really minuscule. And that's the stuff that um, you know once you get to the playoffs. Now, don't you know? Don't get me wrong; they are isolation superstars, right? So. Uh, what they do is not all that complicated when that time does come. But, you know, I, I do think that stuff matters. It, it's so interesting to me to have Steve Nash coaching this team, just because I covered the Steve Nash, uh, Dwight Howard, Kobe Bryant Lakers, where, you know, they learned the hard way. that uh, health came into play in a big way there, but talent, you know, wasn't enough to, to even get them into the playoffs. They had to push to get into that first round series against the Spurs. But, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, I actually think it's really kind of sizing up to be a really interesting postseason because, you know, the field is, is wide open. I told someone yesterday, like, if I'm asked to pick between the Lakers in the field because they're, they're the rainy champs right now, like, there's no hesitation. I'm taking the field. Um, I think there's a lot of teams that can win this thing.
1: Sam, Danny Ainge went on a radio show, and uh, the the comments I saw lacked some context, so I'm, I'm hesitant to say he threw his players under the bus. But he said, you know, he said, I'm putting it on my players' shoulders right now. And uh, right now they are certainly underachieving from where a lot of people thought. <clears throat> Excuse me, at 23 and 25 in eighth place in the Eastern Conference, it, it would seem to me that they've got plenty of talent. What's uh, what's the matter with the Celtics?
2: Um. I don't know what the the problem is. I don't know how to answer that. I, you know, I, I look at the fact that they they moved Daniel Tays, which was kind of an underrated loss, I thought for them. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy made that point on the ESPN telecast last night, and I kind of agreed with him. But you know, they add Evan Fournier, they don't really get that much better at the trade deadline. Um, I don't know what to think of it because you know they're obviously not going to stop building around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart seemed to possibly be on the way out uh, around the deadline. But, you know, it's just a team that that, that is, I think, going to have a dip here before they find some way to inject the roster with some new life. And I don't think it's going to happen this season. I think, you know, it's the kind of thing where going into next year, they're going to have to do something. You know, it's the most uncomfortable I can remember it in Boston in quite some time. You know, Brad Stevens is getting increasingly – frustrated um, and kind of having some of that stuff show in his media session. Danny Ainge is doing these interviews that probably don't help him with his players. Um, So kind of uncomfortable all around because this is a team that, that even though they hadn't been out there winning championships, they, you felt like you knew their identity and that you could expect them to be a a top three team in the East, you know, as long as this core was there. And, And
0: this year, obviously that's not the case. I might be mistaken on this, Sam, but I'm not sure that uh, Jake and I have talked about this, but I'm not sure we've asked you the question about the play-in games in in order to qualify for the playoffs. You know, eight, uh, let's see, nine playing, ten, and the winner of that playing the loser of seven and eight. Do you like that idea?
2: You know, I did last year because it was new and fresh, um, and I still probably fall on the side of liking it. But what I'm not loving is like, you know, you got these middling organizations that probably should get really creative to figure out how to fix their roster and and kind of push for something meaningful for their fans and really something like the Jazz have had, right? Like you guys, we've talked before about like the value of of deep playoff contention. Okay, last year I know it was a first-round exit, but still, you know, being a team that that has the ability to push for a second, maybe third round appearance every year, that's valuable, even though you're not winning championships. Um, but some of these teams now, and one of them in my backyard with the Kings where they almost are justifying kind of taking the the more straight ahead approach, um, because they have a chance to get into the, the play in tournament, you know, it's just not, it's not getting me excited. Um, I may, maybe some fans like it, but you know I, that part—it just—I uh, think it takes some of the pressure off the executives. Where you know, if you got owners who are going to act as if they're content, just dipping their toe in the playoffs, then you don't really have to be all that good at your job. You can just go find a way to to get a handful of players to bolster your roster on top of the core that you have, and you should be in good shape. But um, so you can tell, I'm, I'm mixed on it. You know, because I'm going to like it once it happens. The, the drama of those couple of days is exciting and is fun, and it has a little bit of a March Madness feel to it.
1: Sam, I know in your latest at the Athletic, you dug into the MVP race. Give us uh, give us a little teaser, a little preview. What did you dig into?
2: I was just, you know, updating the, uh, the piece that I, I had from last month. Um, I thought about you guys as I was doing it because I – you know, made sure to have kind of the obligatory line that was acknowledging that, yes, I know how good Utah is, but, yes, I'm still (laughs) keeping Rudy and Donovan out of the conversation. Um, Same thing in Phoenix. I don't have – I think the Suns and Jazz are somewhat similar in terms of how deep they are, um, the way they function, and and how it's just different than some of these teams where if you took this one guy off the floor, they would completely crater. Now, you know, that's that's kind of a weak argument to, to phrase it, overly simplistically that way, because if you took Rudy off the floor for the Jazz, they'd probably crater and send with Donovan. But um, I have currently got Jokic as the number one guy. And one thing that I kind of tweeted how it's not real sexy, but it's a major storyline, in my opinion, is this is like the availability MVP award this season, meaning because Embiid got hurt, because LeBron got hurt, because all these different – you know, Steph Curry got hurt. Um, All of a sudden it's about, okay, who's been able to to be on the floor and produce and carry their squad the most? So Jokic has legitimately played every single game this year. Um, Danny Lillard is another guy that I think deserves serious consideration, partly because of that. And then Giannis, you know, who I don't ever remember having like an MVP candidate – where we almost acted like we were hoping he would go away in the media. Because I think, I feel like nobody wants to vote for Giannis because giving him back to back to back puts him in a in kind of a historical context that I think some people wonder if he's earned. You know, Larry Bird was the last guy to, to go back to back to back in the mid-80s. And before that, you're talking about Will Chamberlain and players like that. So, but, you know, where I land on Giannis is just... I don't know what to do if the bucks end up being on top of the East and he got the same impact and production and incredible play while playing 95% of the games, you know, that he did the last two years, then I think he's going to be right there in the mix too.
0: Sam, how do you divvy up value in, in judging that? How much, how much of it is individual and how much of it is the success of the team as the whole?
2: I think it's a combo. Um, you know, I I do it certainly take team success into account. I mean, I've kind of, you know in my head I've got a little bit of a threshold. Like, I did vote for Westbrook the year where the Thunder were eight, and that was kind of a hard thing for me to do because that's kind of below my personal threshold in terms of team success. And you know, that's why like I updated in today's story. Steph Curry was in there to just tell you kind of where he was at, but it was almost me declaring that, like, no, Steph is out. The Warriors are they're 10th, you know, whatever they are. Uh, he got hurt, so he's not in that class anymore this year. Um, the Nuggets are another good example. I told one of their D-writers uh, and a buddy of mine from the Denver Post today, Mike Singer, I was talking to Mike about it. I was like, listen, man, if if the Nuggets have a backslide and they're like, you know, 5th, 6th, 7th, it's going to be tougher to vote for Jokic. It just feels better when you're rewarding an elite team, you know. Um, And, again, I know the Jazz fans are throwing their arms up in the air at that comment because that's what the Jazz are right now. But it's a combo. Uh, You know, you try – I do look closely at, you know, what happens to the team when the guy's off the floor. And so the the net rating on-court, off-court numbers matter to me. Um, You know, the PER stat that – that uh, our John Hollinger invented a long time ago, I think is pretty telling. And Jokic is leading the league right now. Uh, And Bede hasn't played enough to qualify, but he's a close second. So um, with Jokic, though, it's honestly – sorry, Gordon, I'm giving you a long answer. His leadership and the way that he has kind of helped craft their culture out there is on my mind as well because I've heard – some really uh, fascinating stories about the way that he dealt with Michael Porter Jr., you know, the way that he he kind of patiently shepherded Jamal Murray through a frustrating early part of the season. You know, Jokic was the steady guy all the way through, and he's he's making guys better around him in the way that a point guard typically would. But he's such a great passing big man that he's got a, a pretty unique impact on his teammates too, which I think matters.
1: Sam, thank you very much. As always, we appreciate it, and we'll catch you next Thursday.
2: All right, guys. Be good. Thanks.
1: I got you, Sam. Thank you. Sam Amick of The Athletic, and uh, check out his latest on uh, the MVP race. And uh, like a lot of people, he obviously thinks very highly of Nikola Jokic.
0: So this is probably a stupid question, Jake, but if the Jazz were to win a title this year, would 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 that automatically make Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert a strong candidate to to win the MVP next season?
1: Oh, it certainly raised their profile. Whether that's so how, right or not, it certainly would.
0: Yeah, so why why does the Joker get the benefit of the doubt at uh with the Nuggets being where they are?
1: um it does it have more to do with where the nuggets are or what production he's putting up because see the,
0: that's and that's why I asked Sam that question because that is isn't that the the real tricky part to making a a, a judgment there that you feel is sound
1: well I often feel like voters and I'm not I'm, I know Sam has a vote I'm not talking about him personally per se but I think we often do get caught up in, the stats as opposed to va- actual value. And, and we even have a tough time. I say we, not you and I per se, but have a tough time agreeing on what MVP even means, you know, and yeah. and that he, he brought up the Russell Westbrook here. I mean, that's an excellent example because he did something that hadn't happened since uh, big O, right? Oscar Robertson, but yet his team was kind of stinky. Yeah. And so did those stats mean that he was the most valuable player in the league that year? A lot of people obviously thought, yes. I didn't think that that year. Even though those stats are impressive, I think there are factors that go into it and that didn't fit my definition of value, but people disagree. But I think in those particular wards, oftentimes the voters get way caught up in statistics.
0: I like the way you said that your definition of value. <laughs> right? Because because that really that's the crux of the problem. Uh, if, that, if that's what it is. I mean, try, first of all, we're talking about a team sport, right? And then you're trying to give someone this this award that is so highly sought after and thought of in the NBA. And yet, is it is it a great player's fault if he has two teammates who are bricking shots all over the place and you get eliminated or you lose games? or, um, On the other hand, can you – uh, sort of say, okay, we're going to excuse you from your team's performance because it's not its not really connected, but it is connected. So where do you find your answer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't like the argument either, the best player on the best team. I don't think that's always the case either. And yeah. it seems like a lot of people fall into one of those two categories, right? Where, oh, best player, best team, they had the best year. Or, well, did you see that guy's stats? And I I don't know. Maybe I would define value differently than than others do out there. But, I mean, are the Jazz, the way that they play, likely to have an MVP candidate? Probably not. Because they
0: share the ball so much?
1: And the way that they share it, you know? Mm. Getting back to Bogdanovich's hockey assist the other day, or last night, excuse me, might have been the most important play of the game. He didn't get any sort of statistical credit for it.
0: That's a great point, man. Stats sometimes just don't tell the whole story. No,
1: it's certainly sure. not with a team like the Jazz. And, and on the other extreme, like do the stats tell the, story, the whole story about, well, Russell Westbrook or James Harden, where they are likely to have more overinflated stats because of the way that their teams play or played. I mean, yeah. you know, we'll see how it goes mm-hmm. with Harden uh, in, in Brooklyn. But, I mean, the way that he played in Houston, he was going to have giant stats every night because of the way that the game plan I mean, I go back yeah. to what Joe said, Joe Engel said about Donovan Mitchell earlier in the year where he said, hey, if if we played that way, he'd have 35 a night. But that's not the way the Jazz function. But does that make Donovan any less valuable?
0: That I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, <laughs> he could do that if he wanted to. You would think so. I mean, so. Maybe, not, maybe not so much with the Jazz, but you know what I'm saying. If they He's let him have the ball.
1: In his hands for the entire game. I mean, I, I agree with that take. The statistical potential for Donovan Mitchell would be limitless. You know, his 42-point game the other night against uh, came against the Wizards in a loss. Yeah. He has bought into the idea that the way they the Jazz play will make them more competitive. And I agree yes. with
0: him. Yep.
1: But – as a result, he doesn't make it onto the athletics list of MVP candidates.
0: Exactly. That is it right there. <laughs> and how do, you, how do you convince anybody of that? Because you and I have both seen the advancement that Donovan has made this year in overall carriage. His, his carriage, the way he handles himself on the court and the, the positive effect that has on his team. And the whole time he could be going for thirty-five every night if he want, if if, if that was what his desire was, and instead what he has done in, is is more noble, in trying to uh, help his team within the team concept, right, which which makes him even more valuable than he would if he scored thirty-five every night.
1: And Rudy, it's with Rudy, it's even more of an injustice because there simply aren't stats available that demonstrate his value accurately, and that's a conversation yeah. that we've had over and over and over again. Indeed. And which is why I love it that Mannix is kind of latched onto the Rudy MVP chain uh, train because, you know, when you're arguing with your buddies in the bar in a bar about who should be the MVP, you can't point to a stat that just goes, "Yeah, see, see, he's more valuable." Because again, I mean, they don't count how many times that Dylan Brooks crashes into the lane, uh, wets himself, and then turns around and runs the other way, and we see it over and over and over again every night. Wait, nothing, wait, nothing wait, personal wait. to to Mr. Brooks, but
0: diaper wetting is not. Nobody keeps track of that. Nobody
1: does. All these great players crash into the lane and would have an automatic two against any other team in the league. But they see Rudy and go, wait a minute here. I saw him swat that shot into the fourth row on Sports Center last night. I'm not doing that. Who was it? Who was the dynamic point guard uh, that they played a couple of games ago that got one shot blocked? Oh, it was Zach Levine got his shot blocked in oh, the lane. Yeah. So Chicago is coming in town tomorrow night. Got his shot blocked in the lane in the first half. Didn't go to the basket for the rest of the game. And that's one of the better players in the league. How do you measure that? How do you measure that the other team's best weapon refuses to play their game just because he's actually present and on the floor? How do you measure that?
0: Well, I'm telling you right now, if you could cause, say, 10 wet diapers per season, you're an MVP.
1: There you go. We have a standard, everyone. We have the bar. It's been set by
2: Gordon. That's twice as many diapers that Gordon changed.
1: (laughs) All right, stay tuned, Not we're true. way over. We'll get some more <laughs> coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone.